Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, February 17. Listen for expressions of truth in the simple speech of children. See what you can learn from them. Their insights are less conditioned by convention and often are refreshingly perceptive. Be careful, however, not to be so childlike as to create trouble for others. To give an amusing but illustrative example, During my family's visit to America when I was nine, my mother took us three boys across the border into Canada. As we returned through customs, the officer asked her, have you anything to declare? Nothing, she replied. Instantly, all three of us, hands over our mouths, cried out, oh, mother! Sternly, the official ordered her to open the trunk. There he found three little birch bark canoes, six inches long, So be childlike, but don't be naive. So this is one of the interesting sort of uh, statements that's often offered in spiritual life is that you should be childlike, but not childish. You know, there's so many marvelously funny things that children say without knowing how funny they are because they just pick out the uh, whatever makes sense. Um, One of, uh, one of, my favorites, you know, you read about how children interpret Christmas carols, and there's the Christmas carol, while shepherds watched their flocks by night, all huddled in the snow or whatever it was. And so what child thought that said, while shepherds washed their socks at night, (laughs) and then the angels come and announce the presence of Jesus. Well, it makes perfectly sense. They've been busy all day, and at night they have to do their laundry. Watched their flocks, washed their socks. It could easily be the same. There's a song of Swami Kriyananda's that says, let me think. Uh, mm. the, the line is actually the innocence of a boy. And the song is a very lighthearted song about all the things in life that are just such a beautiful expression of the purity of God. They're, um, the innocence of a boy but one of the children thought it said, there's no sense in a boy, (laughs) one of the girls. (laughs) She was sure that one was there. The other I loved, now this was deliberate. Um, There's a song called Many Hands Make a Miracle, and the line is, we laugh and dance and struggle as friends, meaning we accomplish things together by working together. But the children like to sing it. We laugh and dance, and then they would come to that line, and they would all turn and grab each other around the neck. We laugh and dance and strangle our friends. (laughs) There was nothing naive about it. They did it on purpose. But just the child's mind just, like, go somewhere else. Like, why not? How many times you give a child, a small child, a present, and the box is more fun? Because they they can't tell that the box is just a piece of cardboard and this is an expensively designed toy to educate you and move you to the next developmental level. The excitement of the box could be just as great as anything else. And so, so you often do literally see in just the way the children approach life in the, in the 
uh, Sanatana Dharma, uh, the, the, the basic overarching view of Sanatana Dharma, which is the eternal spiritual truth of life. That's the Sanskrit phrase for um, the, the, what we, the, the world view that has always been the world view of India. Um, now people call it Hinduism, but Hinduism is a specific religion that has sort of come down, and, but it's come down from Sanatana Dharma. Sanatana Dharma is the unifying truth behind all, uh, all religions that they all lead back to the same experience of God, because if it's an absolute infinite experience, all, all paths must lead to the same point of the mountain. So in Sanatana Dharma, they talk about what they call bhav, B-H-A-V. There's no actual equivalent in English, but you can make the meaning in this way. Bhav is the spiritual attitude that the devotee has toward God. I mean, each devotee has toward God, not sort of the general idea of devotion, but each devotee will have a specific bhav, which is the way that they feel God's presence. And in the the prayer that Yogananda would say, and that has become sort of the the opening, uh, beginning, whenever devotees of Yogananda are saying a prayer, usually, it's Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, Friend, beloved, God, and then dear master. And, and what we're talking about, these five here, and there's actually six, we relate to the divine in the vibration of mother, of, uh, we relate in the vibration of father, because father and mother, don't think in human terms, because the reason they're fathers and mothers is because these realities exist beyond the material plane. The duality is expressed in male and female, in father and mother, because in creation the duality exists. So you have the feminine, you have the masculine, and they have different vibrations. The father is completely devoted to the child, absolutely loves the child, but it's a little more impersonal and it's a little more about this is what's expected of you, this is what I'm going to do. And the mother is the comforter. Just no matter what the child does, the mother says it's fine. And so some people are more inclined toward the slightly impersonal. They're more inspired by this impersonal dignity of the father-son relationship, father-child. Others need the comfort of the mother, need the security. So the bhav, as a devotee, you could have a different bhav. You may settle into a bhav for all of your incarnations, or you may shift. One bhav may suit you one, at one time and another may suit you at another. So there's the father, the mother, then there's the friend, which is in many ways the most, um, the freest, and in that, for that reason the deepest, because friend is freely chosen. Every other relationship, as Master said, has an element of compulsion, but friend to friend is completely free, completely chosen, not compelled in any way at all. And also there's a certain, um, uh, what do I want to say, mutuality. And even Jesus himself says, said toward the end of his life, you call me master, but I call you friend. And then he said, because a servant will take care of, of everything his master asks, but for the servant his true home is always somewhere else. But a friend shares the burden equally. 
Whatever is your burden is my burden. So that's another bhav that you can have in relationship to God. Side by side, we labor for the good of the world. And Krishna and Arjuna had a, had a relationship of friends at different time in the Bhagavad Gita. There's, there's, there's verses where Krishna and Arjuna relate as friends to show us that. Then there's beloved. And the way that's mostly expressed in the Indian tradition, the f- most famous is Radha Krishna and also Rama and Sita, where it's, it's romantic. It's that kind of love, where this is my beloved, this is my, my own true heart, with all, of, with all that comes with a romantic bhav. It's a very delicate bhav to carry out, but Radha expresses it perfectly, and so it's, it's, it's hugely popular. You know, Krishna is my beloved. And, and sometimes when we say the prayer, you think that beloved is an adjective describing master, but beloved is actually the noun. You are my beloved. And that's, that's who you are to me. And um, then we speak of guru-disciple, so we also call God master. And that also, in, and sometimes master is, instead of disciple, we use the word chela, which is the child of the guru, but we're not childish. But the child by that means is I belong completely to the guru. But it's not father in the same way. It's I am your disciple. You are my master. Of course, that's a very attractive bhav for many people. Then there's one more that's not in the prayer. And that is that God is your child. Not that you are God's child, but God is your child. Now, at first, the Western mind tends to just kind of go, to, go into tilt on this. Because that's not usually the way we think. Except at Christmas time. At Christmas in Christian countries, the baby Jesus, the whole picture is the baby Jesus. And if you actually think about it, the baby Jesus is a huge theme in um, Christian art. Just all, all the different ways the baby Jesus is presented, often with the Virgin Mary or with Joseph, the holy family or mother and child. But God, in the sense of Jesus, the incarnation of the Spirit, which is more accurate, is a baby. And, we, and when you think about it as above, everybody loves babies, or almost everybody. As soon as you see a baby, there's just this wonderful, free sort of ability to just open your heart. My friend, um, before his, his first son was born, he, he swore he would never be one of those embarrassing fathers, you know, who would just do anything to make his baby laugh and so on. As soon as his baby was born, he said all of such, all such thoughts of his personal dignity completely went out the window. He became just like every other father he'd ever known. You'll just do anything to make that baby smile. You live for the child. And he also said to me, he said, I thought I was a very sort of selfless guy, he said, before my son was born. But I had no idea what selfless love really was until my son was born, and my second son, and the children he raised also. But he just said, I, I just, there's no self. It's, it's not that there's less self, it's that there is no self. Now, isn't that the bob that we want with God? And of course, we're completely at ease with the baby. There's no sense of, he doesn't love me. There's no sense of worthiness. It's just, it is, just as my friend was saying, this complete surrender to the absolute joy of the relationship. And in the Indian tradition, almost all the gods and the goddesses and the avatars, there's two forms of them, and one of them is the baby. Krishna is the best known 
and even has a different name. He's called, called Gopala. And so you have a, a murti, a statue that is Krishna in his magnificent, full-grown form. Then you have little baby Gopal. Gopal's crawling along and he's spilling the butter jar and he's being mischievous. And there's all these stories about it because it's a, it's a deep and legitimate bhav. And so what Swami's talking about here is, is let us sort of experience the bhav. The bhav is the way the child loves God and also the way we love the child, just all that can come from that. One of my friends in India, um, the family, it's the Ghosh family, Yogananda's family name was Ghosh. He was Mukunda Lal Ghosh before he became Swami Yogananda. The Ghosh family home, it's still held in Calcutta by members of the Ghosh family, and they um, invite devotees from all over the world to come in and be in the places that Yogananda was, especially his little meditation room there. I started visiting that house the first time in 1986. And at that time, um, it w- the house was hosted by Hare Krishna Ghosh and his wife Anjali. Hare Krishna is the nephew of Yogananda and is the son of Yogananda's younger brother, Sananda. Anjali, Hare Krishna, Sananda, they're all long gone from the planet. Hare Krishna has a sister, and her name is Shefley. And Yogananda went back to India for one year in 1935. He came to America in 1920. In 1935, he went back to India and stayed just a little over one year. Hare Krishna was 15. Shefley was three. But Shefley, when Master came into the house, she absolutely loved him. And he responded completely in that love. And whenever he was in the house, she would just run to him. She would cling to him. She would insist on sitting on his lap. She would, wouldn't let him out of her sight, barely let him out of her touch. And he responded in the same way. There's one story told where the family was going to the movies, is how it was told to me. And, and a child as young as Shefley was not going to be allowed into the theater. But she absolutely refused to be separated from Master. And she was a little tiny. Sometimes Indian children are quite small-boned and quite small. She was a small adult, so she was a very small child. Master sort of put her on his chest like this, and he buttoned his coat over her, <laughs> and he took her to the movie. And so she spent the whole time just with her head against his heart. Now, she considers herself a disciple of Master, and uh, she never saw Master again after being three years old, and she has no conscious memory of it, except that her soul was not a child. And what she got to do was she got to have the absolute freedom of a child with her guru, which very few adults can bring themselves to do. And so isn't that quite a story? I've meditated many times on Shefley, just having the nerve when the guru comes into sight, of just rushing over and grabbing him around the leg and refusing to let go, and there not being, that being absolutely the way it should be. It was not so different, and I'm going to end with this, when uh, Mary Magdalene came into where Jesus was having a dinner and anointed his feet with costly oil and cleaned his feet with her hair. Everyone around was scandalized, but Jesus was not, and neither was Mary Magdalene. She just had the complete, open-hearted, both expectation of being loved and complete inhibition about loving. So, this is what Swami is trying to tell us. 
Listen for expressions of truth in the simple speech of children. See what you can learn from them. Their insights are less conditioned by convention and often are refreshingly perceptive. Be careful, however, not to be so childlike as to create trouble for others. To give an amusing but illustrative example, during my family's visit to America when I was nine, my mother took us three boys across the border into Canada. As we returned through customs, the officer asked her, Have you anything to declare? Nothing, she replied. Instantly, all three of us, our hands over our mouths, cried out, Oh, mother! Sternly, the official ordered her to open the trunk. There he found three little birch bark canoes, six inches long. So, be childlike, but don't be naive. Joy to you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.